Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Thanks for joining me to break down championship weekend and hope we can at least come close to living up to uh, last week's action, which is probably the best uh, weekend of playoff football we've ever seen. Fortunately, both of these games feature a spread of a field goal or more, though, so uh, maybe maybe not going to quite be as exciting as last week. Uh, the first game of the week, Bengals at Chiefs. Chiefs favored by seven and a half in this one, so obviously not expected to be uh, too close, like it was the last time these teams faced. The total, though, is 54 and a half, which I found that to be surprisingly low. So I like the over in this game. The first meeting featured 65 points between these two teams. And I don't think it was a fluke because I don't think either defense is in a position to slow down the other offense. Now, one of the areas that I looked at that really led me to feel pretty confident about this is although both defenses rank right around league average and pressure rate generated. They're both terrible at generating impact pressures. And I defined that as an EPA of negative one or worse for the offense. The Chiefs rank 32nd in percentage of pressures leading to plays of negative one or worse. The Bengals rank 30th. So these are two of the three worst teams in the league at generating impact pressure. And as I said, they get pressure at and about right around average, both of them. The Bengals are a little bit more effective. Chiefs uh, just slightly below average. Bengals slightly above average, but they, they're pretty close together. Um, I The fact that they can't get impact pressures, though, that has to have a huge impact on this game. And digging into the how this affected the way the teams played in that first meeting, I think it really becomes clear that this was uh, this is something that we should take seriously when analyzing this game. Um, because both defenses gave up big plays at elevated rates in that first matchup. The Bengals in their first meeting averaged 0.31 EPA per play. That was their second highest of the season, including the playoffs. It was also the second highest allowed by the Chiefs all season. So obviously the Chiefs defense was not able to deter the Bengals offense from picking up chunk yardage. Uh, On the Chiefs side of things, the Chiefs averaged 0.29 EPA per play. That was their fourth highest of the season and the highest that the Bengals defense allowed all year. So we have reason to believe that neither one of these defenses are going to get pressure on the other quarterback. And that's noteworthy because both of these quarterbacks, although, you know, they're they're good under all circumstances. uh, If you don't pressure them, if you don't force them to get the ball out more quickly, they're going to pick you apart. These are two elite quarterbacks when you give them time in the pocket um, so the way to slow down either offense is to find some way to get pressure on them, especially against Patrick Mahomes. If you don't get pressure on him, you're doomed. You're not going to beat the Chiefs. And um, although I, I, I should say with a little caveat there, obviously the Bengals didn't do it at a great rate in the first matchup and they were still able to do it because the Chiefs were equally bad at it. So, you know, I, I this, this doesn't, looking at these numbers, it doesn't really make me believe any more in the Bengals or the Chiefs. I don't have a strong take on the side in this matchup, but if yeah, there's, there's a lot of reason to think this is going to be another shootout. So I definitely like the over uh, 54 and a half. Now, you know, using some of that same logic, I also like the over on Patrick Mahomes passing yards in this game. And it, ha- you know, if we 
look a little bit further at how that uh, trend of the Bengals being unable to create impact pressures against quarterbacks. If we look specifically at this game against the Chiefs, Mahomes dropped back to pass 37 times in that game. The Bengals had zero sacks and they only hit Mahomes four times. So they they clearly they got pressure at about 35% rate, which is above average. Um, but obviously it was not impactful pressures. So if you're not sacking him, if you're not making contact with him, you're not really forcing him to change uh, to change what he's trying to do on the play in any meaningful way. And again, looking a little bit deeper with no fear of their pass rush, Mahomes averaged 2.9 seconds per drop back. That was his second highest rate of the year. So even though the Bengals were technically able to get pressure at a decent rate against Mahomes, it had no impact on him. They weren't getting to him. They weren't hitting him in the pocket. And he was taking time to throw as he likes to do when given that opportunity. And this was especially meaningful because when the when the Bengals defense gives the quarterbacks time to throw, they become they really start to struggle in those situations. On throws on dropbacks that last 2.5 seconds or more, the Bengals defense ranked 25th in completion percentage allowed and 21st in yards per attempt allowed. So the Bengals defense, what they do, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before. They don't like to blitz. They rank near the bottom of the league in blitz rate. They like to drop a bunch of guys back in coverage and really rely on that front four to get pressure. And in, you know, in most games this year, it's actually worked pretty well for them, but there have been certain matchups where it doesn't happen. And then they're in trouble. If they don't get pressure with those front four guys, it can be a problem against, especially against a quarterback like Mahomes. obviously, if if you're giving him too much time, he's going to pick you apart. Now, you, if you're aware of Mahomes' passing yards, if you happen to look up what he did in this game, you might be wondering uh, why I'm going down this line of thinking because Mahomes actually only had 259 passing yards in their last matchup. As I said, the prop this week that I like the over on is 290 and a half. Uh, so what happened? Basically, it had nothing to do with the Bengals. The Chiefs got in their own way, and I don't have a good explanation for why this happened. Um, but it's it's hard to imagine it was strategic. I just can't come up with a reason why the Chiefs played so slow. They averaged 32 seconds per play in this game. Their season average is 27.9 seconds, so slightly over four seconds slower per play than they're used to playing at. And the only other competitive game in which the Chiefs went over the 30-second mark was week one in Cle- against Cleveland. And if you remember back to week one, the Chiefs were breaking in a brand new offensive line. They rebuilt that unit. And so it kind of made sense that early in the season that they would want to play a little bit slower. Just maybe they're a little unsure that everyone's on the same page. Uh, It definitely makes sense to go slower in that situation. But they quickly picked up the pace from there on out. Um, The offensive line played well, and they've played at a pretty fast pace. Anytime the game has been competitive, as I said, they played 32 seconds per play in the second. The only other competitive game was over 30 seconds was back in week one. So in a close game, the Chiefs like to go pretty fast. And I just, I can't come up with any, I I just can't come up with any reason why they would purposely have entered this game wanting to go slow. I I don't have a good explanation for it. Uh, Maybe, maybe there is something, Maybe, maybe there's something that, some reason they want to go slow against the Bengals and they'll do it again. But without being able to come up with any kind of logic behind that, I have to assume that they're not going to do it again. Um, so I would expect them to just go back to their normal, much faster pace 
Um, and Mahomes was having success throwing the ball against the Bengals. If they pick up the pace, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't significantly uh, increase his uh, passing yardage total in this game. So I like the over on his passing yards at 290 yards. I'm also going to use pretty much the same logic uh, to take the over on Joe Burrow's passing yards, which right now is set to 286 and a half. My original take on how to approach Burrow this week, I liked the over on his pass attempts. That was what I liked early in the week before I saw the lines posted. And then I, I was expecting his pass attempts prop to be available at 34 or 35. That's where it had been most of the season. Um, but for some reason, it's all the way up to 38 and a half. This is really surprising because, as we said, the total in this game is up to 54 and a half. So we're not really expecting a shootout. That's that's slightly on the higher end for an NFL total, but it's it's not doesn't quite qualify as a full-blown shootout. Mahomes passing yards prop is available pretty similar to where it has been all year. Burrow's passing yards prop isn't all that high at 286 and a half. I don't know why his pass attempts would jump all the way to 38. That sounds like a shootout kind of a game if you're going to put the prop that high. Now, it's especially strange when you take his passing yards prop and divide it by his pass attempts prop. Basically, what the books are saying is they're expecting him to average 7.4 yards per attempt. He's averaging 8.8 yards per attempt on the year, including the playoffs. He's only had six games all season that were below 7.4 that were at 7.4 yards per attempt or below the last time these two teams played, he averaged 11.4 yards per attempt. So the math just doesn't add up. Now the 38 and a half, that's probably an appropriate number based on the way I'm approaching this game. I think that it's going to be a much more high scoring game. And I like both of these quarterbacks to put up good numbers. So I'm not taking the over or the under on that number. I think that Vegas has probably, that, that number has been adjusted appropriately, but they just haven't adjusted the passing yards prop. Uh, Burrow probably does attempt something like 38, 39 att- th- passes in this game. But if he does that, he's going to throw for more than 286 yards. Um, he may even, you know, he may even hit the under. If he throws 36, 37 pass attempts on his going, hitting the under on his prop, I still think he could easily go over 286 yards in this game. Um, and part of the reason why I like this, in addition to you know some of the stuff we've already talked about, both defenses probably struggling in this game, strong possibility of it being a shootout. I also think that the Bengals are specifically going to enter this game with the mindset that we have to throw the ball to beat the Chiefs. And that might be counterintuitive. In fact, the last time these two teams played, I actually hypothesized that maybe the Bengals would run the ball a lot. I, I said I liked the Bengals in that game because I thought they would be able to run the ball a lot, but... When, when I that's not what happened, first of all, I, although I was right to like the Bengals, my reasoning was completely off. Should barely count that as a win because the Bengals came out throwing at a very high rate in that game right early on. And when I dug more into the numbers, I realized that my logic was probably wrong. That's not the way to approach the Chiefs. In fact, when teams come out and run the ball a lot, teams that run the ball over 50% of the time, like in the first half against the Chiefs over the last three years, they're one in nine. That's not the path to beat the Chiefs. Even if you think you can run the ball against them, uh, you're you're not going to be able to slow down the game enough to beat a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And I think the Bengals knew that. They probably looked at some of those numbers. If you look back at the Chiefs' losses over the past three years, five of them have been when teams ran the ball in the first half less than 40% of the time. In the NFL, that's a huge pass rate early in the game. Teams 
typically most coaches are still pretty stubborn and like to be kind of 50 50. There aren't very many teams that really go that they're willing to drop their run rate below 40% in the first half of the game. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, Against the Chiefs in week 17, the Bengals' first half run rate was 18%. That was the lowest rate any team has had in the first half against the Chiefs over the last three years. That doesn't happen by accident. I mean, that that happens. I mean, I, I don't that's like when you're losing by three touchdowns right out of the gate or something like that. And that obviously wasn't the case uh for the Chiefs or, or for the Bengals, although they did fall behind early in that game. Um, it, it was not to the extent that you would expect them to have to completely abandon the run. They weren't forced to do that. I think that was definitely their strategy coming into the game that they wanted to throw the ball at a high rate. Now they probably won't go to that extreme again. Um, if they do, then be, be certain that we're going to win uh, the over on Joe Burrow's passing yards prop. They probably won't go to that extreme, but uh, I do believe that they think you have to throw the ball to beat the chiefs. They're not afraid to enter Joe Burrow into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. And if we look specifically just to the last, you know, third of the season or so for the Bengals, they're becoming a very pass heavy team early on this season. They were a run first team. There was no doubt about it, but you know, Burrow didn't play a full season, his rookie year. He was coming back from injury. Um, there was some, you know, speculation early on in the seat. Remember late in the preseason, it was doubtful uh, that Burrow was even going to be ready for week one. And so he was coming back onto the field at less than hundred percent early in the year. That probably pl- played a big factor in why they were such a run heavy team early on. Uh, also a big part of their offense was a rookie wide receiver. They probably weren't quite sure how much they could lean on him to be the true number one target early in the year. So it made sense that they were a little bit more conservative early on, but Lately, they've become a very pass-heavy team. And um, just one example of that, when T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are both on the field this season, the Bengals throw the ball 60% of the time. When one or both of them is off the field, they throw the ball 40% of the time. Now, early in this season, their pass rate, despite the fact that they were throwing the ball at a higher rate when both were on the field, their overall pass rate wasn't that high because – Higgins was coming off the field at a fairly high rate when they wanted to run the ball more. Now Higgins is starting to see more action over the last five games. He's been on the field 83% of the time or higher, including 95% last week against the Titans prior to that streak. Higgins played 83% or higher only once in 12 games. So early in the season, they were just bringing Higgins off the field a lot and putting him on the field when they wanted to throw more. Now they're just putting Higgins and Chase on the field pretty much 90-plus snaps per game, 90% of the snaps per game or or more, and they're becoming a very, very pass-heavy team. In fact, again, if you want to like narrow this down to certain scenarios, again, to just demonstrate how much of a pass-heavy team they're becoming, if you look just at Burrow's pass rates on first and second down, his three of his four highest pass rates on first and second down the season have come in his last four games, topping 75% in each of those games. So they're putting Higgins on the field to be more aggressive passing team, more they're throwing the ball more on first and second down. Um, they're becoming more and more confident in Burrow's ability to go out there and be the offense for them. And they're becoming a very pass heavy team. And I don't think they're scared at all about challenging Mahomes to another shootout as they did last week. Now, 
obviously I, all of that adds up to me liking the over and uh, Burroughs passing yards at 286 and a half. You could probably use this logic to bet the over on one of T Higgins props, because as I said, he's getting on the field more often. He's playing a much bigger role in the offense and it doesn't seem like uh, his prop lines have adjusted too much. Uh, the I would maybe lean towards taking the over on his receiving yards rather than his receptions, though. He, his receiving yards prop is available at 70 and a half, receptions at five and a half. I would lean towards the receiving yards if you're interested in one of those. Um, just because he's used it downfield at a high rate, I think it's very possible for him to go over on his receiving yards and under on his receptions because he, he does see so many targets at you know 10 to 20 yards downfield he could finish with, you know, four receptions for 85 yards or something like that. If he gets, you know, one big play, that's certainly uh, something that he's capable of. If you bet the over on his receptions, you know, at, at five and a half, that feels pretty appropriate to me. Um, as, as I said, he could have a big impact on this game with, you know, fewer than six receptions. So I, I'm not certain that I'm going to take that bet, but that's, a, that's another one that I'm considering. And, you know, I think we could use some of that, that same logic to support, that one as well. Another prop that I'll throw out that I took. Um, I don't, I, I don't usually recommend uh, single game parlays on the podcast, but I did find this one kind of interesting. So I threw a little something on it this week. If you bet, bet um, both quarterbacks to go over 300 yards, you can get that at plus 290 um, in the single game parlay options. So I thought that was pretty good value. And I'm already leaning towards thinking both quarterbacks are going to go over their passing yards prop. They're both near 300 yards already. I think that that's uh, a pretty good value to get two plus 290 for both of them to go over 300 yards in this game. All right, let's jump now to the NFC championship game. Rams favored by three and a half in this one. Total set to 45 and a half. So this is expected to be a slightly closer game much more low, low scoring. Um, I don't have a take on the total. I feel like that's pretty appropriate to expect it to be fairly low scoring. I do, however, like the 49ers in this one. Um, And it basically has to do with the fact that I think they have a specific game plan to beat the Rams. They have owned the Rams this season. And I don't trust the Rams to have solved those issues over the last three weeks when they've been prepping for playoff games. I, I just, I don't think that they, uh, they obviously have struggled against the 49ers and I just don't think that there's any reason to believe they've figured that out. Now I'll, I'm going to talk about two props that I like. And within those two props, I'll sort of get at two of the reasons why I think the 49ers have identified some weaknesses in the Rams that give them an advantage. Um, the first one I'll talk about is the Brandon Ayuk over three and a half receptions in this game. I think this is a very easy choice to make it three and a half. I was wondering if it may even jump up to four and a half and I might have hesitated there, but I, I love it at three and a half. In their last meeting, I had six receptions for 107 yards. Now th- that was his best game of the year. I don't necessarily think we can expect that type of performance, but that kind of sets a good ceiling for what we can expect in this matchup based on the 49ers play calling. And I I definitely don't think his increased usage in that game was a fluke at all, because if you look at the 49ers, Ayuk's targets have a lot to do with the play action usage. Um, When the 49ers use play action, actually I looked specifically at games where Ayuk, Kittle and Debo Samuel were all active. So looking specifically at those games, 
His target share off play action was only 14%. He doesn't have a big role in the play action game. Off non-play action plays, though, he has a 20% target share. If you look at Kittle and Samuel in those same games, Kittle's usage is 24% off play action, 23% off non-play action. Really no difference in his usage there. Debo Samuel, 23% off play action, 25% non-play action. Again, barely any difference. But with Fryoke, it's a six percentage point difference in his target share from play action to non-play action. So if the 49ers are going to limit play action, that would lead us to think that he's going to see a lot more targets. And against the Rams, the 49ers basically eliminate play action from the playbook. Uh, The 49ers use play action on 30% of class plays against everybody other than the Rams in their two games against the Rams this season. They used play action on 9.8% of pass attempts, breaking it specific into the two games. It was 5.3% in one and 12.5% in the other. So they dramatically decrease their use of play action against the Rams, which we have reason to believe increases Ayuk's usage. And in their last meeting, he had six receptions for a season high 170 yards. Definitely uh, fits. Now, I don't have... I don't have a good theory as to why the 49ers do this. We definitely normally would recommend teams use more play action. The 49ers use play action at a decent rate, but you know, you could certainly use it more than 30%. Um, I don't know why this, the 49ers think that they don't need play action, but something about the Rams defense is clearly causing them to remove play action from their playbook almost entirely and it's worked. You can't argue with the results. So, so something's happening here. Maybe someone that studies the 49ers and their play calling a little more closely could have might have a theory on to why this is. I, I don't really know the why behind it, but seeing as it, it is such an extreme deviation from their normal trend and it held true in both of their games against the Rams, clearly something is happening that they think they have an advantage by not using play action. So we should expect it to continue, which means – you got to boost your uh, expectations for Ayuk in this game. Now, you may, if you've looked at Ayuk's game log, you've probably noticed that the first time these teams played, he had three receptions for 26 yards. That doesn't cause me to hesitate at all because the 49ers dominated that game. Garoppolo only had 19 pass attempts. Four of them were to Ayuk. That's a 21% target share. So, you know, we could lose this bet if the 49ers come out and dominate and they don't and they just run the ball all day. That could happen. But if I exceed a 21% target share and we lose the bet, you know, oh well. Like I'll I'll say that's I'm fine with losing that bet because I would still feel like you know we had the right process. You know, the game script just went in a direction that we had no reason to anticipate. There's no reason to expect the 49ers to dominate this game in the way they did in week 10 and limit the uh the pass attempts to such an extreme. So even though his receptions were very low and his yardage total was low, the fact that he still had the target share that we were that we should expect in this matchup, to me, that just further provides evidence that in this game, though which we expect to be much closer, uh, we should take the over on his three and a half receptions. All right. Now, the other player prop that I like in this game is not going to surprise you at all if you've listened to the podcast the past couple of weeks. We're taking the under on Matthew Stafford's passing yards because we're always taking the under on quarterbacks passing yards against the 49ers. Wish I figured out this trend earlier in the season, but it's been working for us the past couple of weeks. We took the under on Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers. Both were winners. The under on quarterback passing yards against San Francisco is now up to 15 and four on the season. 
And the logic this week is the, pretty much the same as past weeks. The 49ers play slow and they run the ball a lot, including the postseason. They run the ball at the third highest rate. They play at the fourth slowest pace. And there's no reason to think they're going to do it any differently against the Rams. In fact, they may even play slower against the Rams because when the game is within one score against the Rams, the 49ers played at their second and fourth slowest paces of the season against the Rams. In fact, in week 10, which it ended up being a blowout, but we're looking specifically at when the game was within one score, the 49ers ran 29 plays, averaging 39.1 seconds per play. You pretty much can't go any slower than that. So the 49ers were trying to bleed every possible second off the clock against the Rams in that first matchup. Um, and that was the, their second in a one score game. That was their second slowest pace of the season. So they like to play as slow as they possibly can in general. And it seems like the fact that they've played their second and fourth slowest paces in one score games against the Rams tells us that in this matchup specifically, they're going to go even slower. So this is uh, just, it's, it's not a good matchup for Stafford if you're expecting him to throw up for a lot of yards and um, looking a little bit closer at, you know, some of the defensive schemes that the 49ers might use in this game. I think it's also a bad matchup for Stafford. Um, And it has to do with the 49ers tendency to use the combination of a zone defense without a blitz. Now it's not something the 49ers use, at an extreme rate normally in a one score game, the 49ers use the combo of zone defense and no blitz 60% of the time. That's a slightly above the league average of 54%. Stafford also faces it at a slightly elevated rate. He faces it 61% of the time, but in those two games between the 49ers and Rams, the 49ers use the zone defense, no blitz combo 74% of the time in a one score game. So clearly again, this is a specific situation where it clearly their game plan against the Rams clearly deviated from their season long game plan against other teams. They dramatically increased their use of zone defense and no blitz against Matthew Stafford. And if we look at Stafford's performance here, it seems pretty clear that the 49ers were aware this was something that was going to cause him problems against that combo of zone defense and no blitz Stafford ranks 16th in EPA per dropback. So he's not terrible in these situations, but he, you know, he's, you know, right around league average also, and this might be a critical point in this game, 14 of Stafford's 17 interceptions came against that, no, that no blitz zone coverage combination. And remember we mentioned he faces it 61% of the time. So there was no reason to expect a, such a huge percentage of his interceptions to come against this combination. There definitely seems to be something there that something about this combination when teams are not blitzing him and forcing him to throw into, uh, into zone coverage, that that increases the, the uh, probability that he's going to throw a costly interception. Now it's especially noteworthy that the 49ers increased their uh, usage here because against all other defensive schemes, Stafford leads the league in EPA per dropback, and he averaged an interception only once every 80 dropbacks. So he's very good at protecting the ball, extremely efficient leading the offense in other scenarios. But against that combination of zone coverage and no blitz, Stafford is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say a liability, but he's kind of just an average quarterback. 
And the 49ers seem to know that because they dramatically increased their use of that defensive combination there. So as I said at the top of the podcast, there's a there's a couple areas where I think the 49ers coaching staff seems to just have an edge over the Rams, and I don't trust the Rams uh, to make an adjustment with only three weeks since the last time these teams played. Now, I, obviously, all this adds up to me liking the under on Stafford's passing yards. It's currently at 82 and a half. It actually opened at 277, so it's climbed five yards since it opened. So you might want to wait a little bit longer and see where that line moves. It seems like some people are uh, coming in on the over there. So maybe if you're with me and you want to bet the under here, it seems like that line possibly could get driven up a little bit more. I'm certainly in, I've already uh, put up one bet in, but if it climbs a little bit more, I, I might go back for more and try to gain a little edge of a couple of y- more yards there. So as I said, I like the under for Stafford, but I also like the 49ers because it seems like uh, on offense, although we can't quite pinpoint why, they seem to think they have an advantage against the Rams by limiting their play action usage. They dramatically changed the way they call plays on offense in regards to play action against them, and it definitely worked. And on defense, uh, they pretty dramatically changed the, the rate at which they use that zone coverage, no blitz combination. And on that side of the ball, we can definitely pinpoint why, because it has a huge impact on Stafford's effectiveness. So we have reason to believe the 49ers coaching staff has a legitimate edge in this game. It really comes down to, can the Rams quickly make an adjustment? Because they certainly didn't figure out figure it out between week 10 and week 18. Have they been able to figure it out in the last three weeks? I'm going to bet against it. You know, Maybe they win the game. I definitely think it's going to be a close game, but... Uh, I, I like the 49ers getting three and a half points in this matchup. So that's all for today's show. Hope you have a fun and profitable championship weekend.